Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome back to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. We are like two weeks away from Magic Con Minneapolis in Alex and I's backyard. Like, I mean, literally almost my backyard where I'm two and a half miles from the venue. So we are we are in the throes of preparing for it. So if people do not know uh, the the cast, so myself, Alex, and Taya, along with frequent collaborators Kilnfeen Potter or Michelle and Mana Curve Chase, will be doing a panel at the on Sunday at the Magic Fest. We will be doing a panel on how I sparked a mental health recovery journeys. We are very, very excited to be able to do a part of this. And actually, next week's episode is going to be talking about that concept of mental health recovery as a lead up to the con with one of the members of the Trevor Project. So that's also pretty cool, too, because they're they're involved as the, the kind of de facto charity for this event. And they actually are going to come on and talk a little bit about the Trevor Project. But also uh, Nicholas, who's in communications, is going to be joining us, is a lifelong Magic the Gathering player, which is just a fantastic confluence so yep uh i spent all day today we were saying before we got on the show i am preparing to host people in a cookout so i spent all day today cooking enchiladas and generally freaking out about the fact that this is (laughs) two weeks away yeah exciting right (laughs) y'all yeah yeah tay and alex how you guys feel how you all feeling about you know well i don't have us on stage yeah, oh, us on stage. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm looking forward to that. It's a really great panel uh, that we've assembled, and I'm happy to be part of it. I, I also am happy at, to to be part of it and looking forward to it. I also am getting increasingly anxious as we get closer. Um, my 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 social anxiety is starting to kick in, which which is fun. But that's I, I'm really genuinely looking forward to doing this. It's See, this is why we're talking about a it. while. Yeah, now, I mean, it is just we're habituating it, you. Exactly. Well, and and it's it's a thing I've I've wanted to do panels for a long time because I've been going to cons for for a while now, but and panels have been a big part of what I've done at conventions and so it's cool to finally kind of be on the other side of that and help to create those panels that other people can come sit in and and kind of consume as part of their con experience. Yeah, so it, our preparation this week we're not doing something about Magic Con in particular. However, we do have a guest who is also on panels and going to be at Magic Con Minneapolis. Returning guest, Kay Arsenal Rivera. Welcome back, Kay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. And thank you in advance for feeding me. <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm very excited. I hope you like, uh, let me see, we have sweet potato and black bean enchiladas. I, I'm here for the tri-tip. Uh, they'll say tri-tip. Yep. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah. A lot of people don't know what tri-tip is out here. So I so this is kind of cool. The butcher from my local grocery store actually is from Southern California, which is the reason that they stock it locally. It took I, I, oh, I used to have like man. specialty order it, but not anymore. So I'm going to devour all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the phone right now, increasing my order. So. <laughs> What is your panel? I mean, we'll go around. I guess we should do introductions, I guess. Yeah, probably. That's kind of important. <laughs> Hi, y'all. I'm Hobbs. I can be found on Twitter at HobbsQ. Pronouns are he, him. And hey, I'm Tia. Yeah, let, yeah, yeah, let's go ahead. <laughs> Somebody right. else take I'm this from me. I'm jumping in front of you there. Yeah. Um, Taya, 
at Taya Transcends on Twitter. Pronouns are she, her, or they, them. And uh, yeah, let's uh, hand it off to Alex. Uh, I'm Alex. I'm found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler sometimes now more than recently, but I still take big gaps and breaks. Uh, pronouns are he, him. And I'm Kira Arsenault Rivera. I'm found on Twitter, unfortunately, as at Arsenault Rivera. Those are both of my last names. I don't have a middle name. It's if you're calling me a first name, it's Kira. So, yeah, I write stuff for magic. <laughs> yeah, I guess you know. I guess that's a that could be a statement that is made. To be fair, if you're joining in now, Kira was on the show previously. Uh, went through March of the Machines, kind of more of the process piece with Taya and I. Alex is now fully caught up. I believe that Alex has read every piece of magic that he could find in a very short period of time to catch himself up. Is that correct? Yes. It's, if, no, no, not at all. <laughs> I, I am caught up. Thought, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. If, if, if you have been listening to episode, I believe our last episode was me and Reinhard talking through the story. I'm caught up through that stuff. I have a list of things I'm going to, I'm planning to go read, including most, if not all of the recent set. That seems like a good place to read more deeply, but I have not actually read any of that stuff. Th- that wow. is a great place. It's if you want to catch up on more of that stuff, uh, you can come to my panel at MagicCon <laughs> Minneapolis, yeah. uh, which is on Saturday at one o'clock, if I'm not mistaken. I'm doing it with Roy, with Roy Graham from the story lead, Tyler Ingverson. Um, and I think our host is Matt Danner. And it's all about March of the Machine and March of the Machine Aftermath in specific. We're going to be talking over some of the changes to the multiverse and how the set came together because it was kind of a unique process. That's really I'm cool. Excited for that, yeah, and, yeah. And I, that the whole aftermath thing and lead with the the convention is part of why I I decided that this was a good time for me to catch up. So that's awesome to know that that panel's going on at the con. Yeah. Can get well, before we. Dive into our, our 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 further discussion of March of the Machines. Taya was nice enough to give us a question, which is, "What is your favorite piece, like deep cut of magic lore?" So, Taya, since you proposed the question, that means you get to go first. By my arbitrary <laughs> rules of, I need to think. <laughs> it's not like I shared this question right a you know right a few minutes ago or anything. <laughs> no, no, God no! It's never like that. <laughs> It's never like that. <laughs> no, it, it's hard for me. I'm going to go with the recent one. And and there was a lot of deep cut callbacks in March of the Machine, which is why I, I brought this question up now. But I, I'm going to go with uh, Granny Sengir, which I, I thought was, <laughs> you know, she, you know, we haven't heard anything about Algrotha in 20 years, uh, 20 plus years. And we get this, Wonderful callback and just like remember the Sengir family is is around still and uh, you know who knows where we might be going uh, from there. Hopefully not Homelands too, but I would love to see more in Algrotha. <laughs> so, does, yeah. are, do you think we're going to get to find out what's behind the Dolmen's Gate? I would hope so. After all this time, that is that is the next big question that hasn't been answered. 
it, it, a lot it of is. wins in CEDH. That's what's behind that game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also have to admit, uh, Granny Sangir got a, a, a glow up to look like a vampire, though still not yeah. a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, Alex, since I, I know you yeah. said you thought long and hard about this. Yeah, you're well, putting this yeah. off more and more hops. <laughs> and, and he knows that sometimes I uh, my answers will tangent uh, on themselves, and this Which is one that might so very much well longer. Do that. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out. The, okay, we'll just start with the the straight answer, and then the complication can come later, and I can figure out how to say it late then. So my, one, my, probably the first one I thought of is like so the the ancient throne on Dominaria, the ancient throne empire. They didn't understand from from what I recall. It's been a while since I read the book, but like they just understood of mana as just a generic thing. They didn't have like the color theory with mana and the different the five colors that we use it mechanically with the game, which kind of leads into one of the things that I think is interesting. If if you listen to the cast enough of the, some of the stuff that I really get into like I have a lot of milthos, so I like the mechanics of the game in addition to the story, but kind of where they interact. And I'm fascinated by not just in magic, but I'm in a magic podcast, so we'll talk mostly about that one here. But this idea of rules and structures of games that exist for gameplay purposes, but how they are represented and understood by the characters in the fictional worlds that are part of that game. And so this idea of characters within the magic universe. How do they understand mana and spells and the different colors? And that kind of gets, honestly, this is a topic that I've wanted to try to figure out how to express so that we can try to have an episode talking about this. This would be a great episode. Because what, and the thing that really got me thinking about it a few years ago, more than a few years ago at this point, though, was on Theros where we had the whole storyline with, you know, the missing green, red God. And, and people were like, well, if I was on Theros, I would know that that was missing. And it's like, but do the people in Theros understand how colors work in magic? And would they see that as a missing hole in the pantheon? Or, or are we only saying that because of how we understand the mechanics of the game? So I think that was mine. Hobbs, did that give you enough time to come oh, up with gosh, something? Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, man, I've got like 12 windows open because we're going to go down some deep, deep lore right here. Actually, so I, I sadly have talked about this on the show previously, I think, but it still is one of my favorites. And uh, I also want to come back to it because there's been a little bit of an update in, in some ways. So one of my favorite characters of all time is Norrin the Wary, who we really only knew basically through... So this is where my story gets a bit convoluted because I'm going to be talking about Norn the Wary, but I'm also going to be talking about one of the biggest art mistakes ever made in magic history. So Norn the Wary, I just love because Norn the Wary is like the the brave Sir Robin from Monty Python. I love callbacks to Monty Python at any time. It's one of the reasons I love the art for Angus McKenzie. And Norn the Wary is basically a like <laughs> adventurer, I don't know, um, that 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 runs away uh, at, at the sight of any trouble or anything happening. And when we, we were in Time Spiral, Norn the Wary, who had been featured on a lot of flavor texts, finally gets a card, which mechanically I just loved the concept of, which is basically anything happens, Norn runs away. 
I loathe playing against it in Commander. <laughs> right, right. It's like, yeah, and it, it was fun because, like, you know, Commander was something that let that ability, like, shine. I actually, I used to play it in casual 60 card, too, with uh, things like Genesis Chamber and, like, Soul Warden and just, like, ridiculousness, right? But anything that would take advantage of this little little guy running back and forth and running away every time something happens. But where it gets really interesting is way back in, oh gosh, my brain's going to go deep, but I believe Ice Age? Is that when we first saw? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hyolepterus Lemur. And it turns (laughs) out, if you look at the art for this card, it is an adorable little thing with potentially wings on it. And this is because um, the artist who did it was, they knew what the first word meant, but they thought that lemur was the same as one of the large-eyed, ring-tailed lemurs. And so they drew, you know, basically lemurs are like a thing for, what are they, ghosts? Some sort of spirits that are more from like a fantasy world. And they are not supposed to be like cute or adorable at all. They're supposed to be very scary, but like it got printed on the card. So fast forward to time spiral, we get viscid lemurs and the flavor text on it is lemurs. Is that all? Finally, something harmless, quote, (laughs) Norin the wary, like doing a callback to that. Well, why I get to update this when wizards did Dominaria remastered, they reprinted the original Hyolepterus lemur with lemur art with new nor in the wary flavor text that says, I was wrong. They're not harmless at all. <laughs> I just love the fact that like a lemur got drawn into magic art is this like very scary, scary thing. And they just, they, they went with it. They just did it. And then they made the, I love callbacks to that. And then it getting to be to like the one person who wouldn't really be scared of it was amazing with Norton the wary so that's my deep one that is pretty deep that was a good one though that, <laughs> that was I, really I was good. looking that up as you were as you were talking about it, it, it i had like a powerpoint going it was great <laughs> it's, it's, it's so good yeah so anyway kira how about for you okay so all of mine have to do with innistrad which surprises absolutely no one <laughs> um, but Firstly, I wanted to tie back to Alex's in terms of stuff that ties in with lore. One of the things that I've always loved about the original Powerpuff Girls, that is to say Avison and her sisters, is that Sigarda is the only one who didn't get hecked up by the Eldrazi because she has hexproof. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is just, it's very good to me. I, I've always loved that. And when that fell into place for me, it made me really happy. And in fact, we did, uh, when we were developing stuff for the March of the Machine, it kind of, uh, that sort of thing came into play, where the reason that uh, they're able to heal N- uh, Nissa and Ajani at the end of it is because they they flicker the permanence, and when you flicker permanence, yeah, the, yeah, <laughs> it, the counters get off of them, and so that that's why we did it that way. <laughs> so, so like we could have fixed everything by just having Brago and Rune show up, is yes, what I'm hearing. Uh, like, why did Vencer, we have to go through all this? Vencer was also out of commission. You know, he's a corpse puppet these days. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm simplifying the process here, right? Because there, there, there were a lot of proposed solutions for it, and that was just one of them. But we 
decided that that had enough harmony with game mechanics that uh, it it was a good way to go. And then Malira came out, the new Malira, and that's exactly what she does. (laughs) So that was very satisfying for me because I didn't know that was happening. (laughs) But my actual answer, because that was a digression, is that Innistrad used to have elves. What? Yes, that okay, that is the I, right reaction. That yeah, I have, I like. <laughs> so we all know that elves are some of the most widespread uh, groups in magic. Like they're they're one of the most popular archetypes, going all the way back. Once during a panel at a convention, somebody from Wizards mentioned that there were once elves on Innistrad and that they had died off a very long time ago. And this was never spoken of again. But I desperately want to know what was up with those elves. Can you tell us who said yeah. it? Like, just so, I, 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 just I, I know don't now. know offhand. I'd have mm. to look it up. I'd okay. have to look it up. Yeah, that would be... Oh, that that's really fascinating, though. I right? I'd yeah. love to know what... what was up with the elves and were they just delicious to vampires is that why they're extinct if i if i had if i can speak purely speculative uh this is just my opinion (laughs) this is not canon whatsoever i'm speaking as a magic fan right now i think personally that it'd be cool if they had something to do with the donhart coven right because the donhart coven uses all of these naturalistic Mm-hmm. motifs and stuff and we know that there's a whole lot of stuff like the celestis that's going on in those woods so i think it would have been really cool if the elves were involved with all of that somehow and have survived via the customs of the darn dawn heart coven but yeah i'd love to see more about that i would write do, more it, about it's that. funny <laughs> is that I, I i had i had a note to ask you about elves on innistrad and, and i think that came from hobbs and, and then you know we asked the question and we got to tie it back to elves on innistrad so that that's great <laughs> so i added those to the notes because she wanted to make sure that she hadn't spoken about it last time and i said that my memory was god awful <laughs> yes yes because I, I bring this up a lot as just a weird thing, you know, like the X-Files theme playing over. Where did they go? <laughs> like, this is my X-Files. I'm going to turn into the lone gunman over this. <laughs> oh, this, was, this, is, this is your lone gunman moment? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, that's how we got the Raven, man. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, during this whole thing, did anybody ever see Merritt Lage during this invasion? Uh, I'm sure she's fine. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, everything is perfectly fine. Well, when, we, so, we were on la- when you were on last time, we did talk a lot about uh, more of the process. We talked a little bit about this concept of stakes, your own <laughs> kind of I'm, mental health. I'm sorry to- yeah. Stump all over, but I, I realized something we missed at the very beginning, and I don't know if you want to do this now. We didn't actually shout out Grinding Coffee Company. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know. It's a, yeah. Sorry to... <laughs> Are you going to put that well, in the I, most? 
I should probably just thank the grinding coffee company right now because if we had met, if I had had my grinding coffee company already today, I would be more alert and awake and wouldn't miss stuff like that. <laughs> I just know because normally when I record episodes on my own, I tend to forget all the way to the end. And but yeah, heck, I don't know. At this point, well, yeah, especially hey. with with the stuff coming up, we know that they're going to be. You know, we've we've got charity stuff that we're going to be doing during May, during we June. Do. We do. We be... have. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We do. We should. We should. We should shout out the Grinding Coffee Company. So if people do not know at this point, the Grinding Coffee Company is a uh, minority led LGBT owned coffee company that supports gamers. And one of the things that they really do for us, you know, we we're partnered with them. There is a code you can go buy coffee from them. But I mean, their biggest col collaboration with us has really been on these kind of charity events. And I think that we've been so thankful to have them and we'll be able to, you know, we're like you said, Alex, we have stuff coming up in May, you know, in June, I have kind of the one that I've been doing every summer there, the wrestling themed one, and they are always willing to just jump on board and just donate and give coffee. And you know, like I said, they do keep me fueled. And, and usually it means that I'm much more alert. So yeah, <laughs> there we go. Oh, we've got mid-roll advertisements now. Does that mean we're a big grown-up podcast? Yeah, the, the Alex was smart. Like you know, this was nice. I didn't have to like add it in. Like it just it's there. Twenty minutes in, go buy Grinding Coffee yeah. Company. Use those, code uh, Goblin Lore Pod CA. It's all those unexpected moments in content creation where your brain just for a moment goes, "Is, is this what making it feels like?" <laughs> that was the panel, <laughs> and it still is. And having guests like Kira on the show is like continually. I'm I'm not just completely smoothly transitioning in us because I would never do that. However, having guests of this caliber on really is like moments where I feel a little surreal. And I know that that's what it was last time when we recorded with you is it meant a lot to me to talk about your own kind of mental health journey. And we talked a lot about like the fear and that theme of fear that, that that played its way through, and that concept of stakes, which people will we, I think we did a good job of hitting that right up front with it. I think when so too. We, I think so. We acknowledged it. We 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 put it out there. One of the things, though, Taya and I really were saying, okay, well, we we got story specific beats that we wanted to have you back on to talk more about. So. With that, Taya, I know that you've kind of started some notes on this. So do you want to jump in Yeah, to kind of start us off? Beat me up. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to beat you up, but, you know, I, I kind of went through and took some highlights from each of the episodes that I, I, I thought were either really interesting or, you know, just worth talking about. And the first one, you know, that I, I put on the list was uh, just Shieldred calling out Norn on her selfishness right before she gets executed. <laughs> and I... I think that just sets the tone for Norn going, you know, continue to go off the deep end throughout the whole story. Yeah, uh, that's 100% the intent of that section, too. Of the Praetors, uh, Shieldred is my favorite. Believe it or not, I actually... I. I, I was kind of sad killing them all off, and especially because, you know, I, I didn't have very much space with which to do it. But Shaeldred being somebody who has always been extremely ambitious and extremely sensitive to whispers and rumors and 
you know, struggles for power. I thought that Shaeldred would be somebody who would recognize what was going on easier than any of the other Praetors did. So uh, I definitely wanted her to have that call out and start setting things up in that first chapter. I mean, she's the one who had most work to kind of undermine up up until Urbrask later yeah, on. Yeah. Right? Let's see. But Urbrask the whole time was kind of undermining everybody. Yeah. Uh, everybody, so, right? Yeah. Like, children specifically, though, I feel like had worked against Norn for quite a while. I mean, we, the moment, I guess, when she was on Dominaria, Dominaria children kind of just was was working, I guess, for Norn, but it wasn't, it, it like went away very quickly after that. Mm, yeah. And, uh, you know, all of the Praetors have their strengths and their faults, and I thought that getting executed for treason was probably the strongest way to show what Shieldred is good at, which is, you know, machinations <laughs> of this yeah. sort. So, you know, if, if you have a character who's sensitive to that, I think they're a very good viewpoint person to set up your um, foreshadowing. Uh, and especially because another thing, too, is white and black are, they're often portrayed as, you know, diametrically opposed colors. But Norn, in the way she acts, is very much like fascist white, whereas, you know, that that has a lot of overlap with blacks sort of at any cost ambition energy. So I think that they probably understand each other better than either of them wants to admit. And I'll say from my position of not being too involved in the story lately, Norn has, I agree, feels a lot like the black side of white, if that makes sense. Cause a lot yeah. of like the black white color pie. And it, you see this in like the Orzov where it's like, it's about our, it's about the community. Cause that's a strong white thing, but it's about our community at the cost of anyone else's. Mm -hmm. And that, kind of fits what Norton was doing in a lot of ways. A hundred percent. That's exactly what Norn was doing. When we were writing Norn, we were very, uh, I was very into the idea of her as this hierophant of herself. And, you know, there's a lot of ostracization that happens in those groups. And there was something that I wanted to play into. And that's part of why everybody approaches her the way they do. And part of why her, downfall is written in that specific way as well yeah i i, I do want to touch on one thing you mentioned was just not having space uh when it came to the praetors and how they were all off and that was one thing that uh i had actually noted down to talk to you about and was gonna ask is you know was that just a space limitation that you didn't have more time to spend on all of their uh executions and messy deaths yeah so March of the Machines, um, most magic web fiction is about 5,000 words per chapter, which is regular short story length for those of you who do not deal in word counts. That it ends up being about 50,000 words, which is a very short novel, uh, you know, like one of those Hemingway things that you would have had to read in high school. You don't have space for a lot in a world spanning event like March of the Machine and something like that. If I had had, if I could do a director's cut, uh, I probably would do five or more chapters, I think, one for each of the Praetors and maybe one for Koth um, to kind of just give them a bit more. But with the story that I was trying to tell and with the way that I was trying to tell it, it was important for me to focus on 
the I would say the heroes of the story and Norn as the main villain. That was just the most efficient way to tell as much of the story as I could. You know, when you, when you're working in IP fiction, there's always a bit of a trust fall involved. You're not quite sure how much of what you don't write will end up in the cards versus in mm-hmm. a side story somewhere or as trivia that Mark Rosewater posts on Blogatog. So, you know, you kind of have to prioritize. And for me, the priority was this grand feeling of overcoming all of this and of, you know, um, going into the pits, seeing all of these planes getting ruined and then coming together and being able to overcome that. So I didn't have as much space to write the Praetors as uh, I think, you know, I, I could have given them more space. Probably they would have been extremely long chapters in that case if I had done that. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I recognize that the Praetors do get killed off pretty quickly. I, I think that's valid. And I think if I had to do a director's cut, I probably would put more in there for them. Nice. I, I do appreciate, though, that, um, you know, Urbrask and Shildred both got, they, they got um, personally uh, executed. That just shows how important they were. Yeah, yeah. Urbrask especially gets drawn and quartered. <laughs> oh, not going to be so hasty anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, poor guy. <sighs> Creatures um, are coming in to play tapped. <laughs> Talia, Talia, Brask. Wow, there's the ma- that was the you know the matchup I was waiting for. So. <laughs> And the other one from episode one I just want to mention was referring to Kamigawa as the land of betrayers and champions. That was just... We have a yeah. little fun. We yeah. have a little fun. <laughs> I know that that line got memed a little bit after I posted it, but like, it's just fun. It's like, I hadn't even seen this memed at all anywhere. I just, I, I thought it was great. Yeah, it's just a fun little callback. I always really liked Kamigawa Block, so... I had an opportunity and I took it and I don't regret it. <laughs> uh, I, what, one question I had just kind of throughout this is what you have against trees. <laughs> so, yeah, I just got to know because yeah, trees did not fare well in this <laughs> multiversal. I mean, when Mark Rosewater said in a complete upset of how things were going forward, I didn't realize that that's what we were talking about. But Basaju... Well, well, world breaker. Realm See, breaker. the thing is, the world. The thing is, I've lived in New York City all of my life, <laughs> and specifically in Brooklyn. And if I want to see a tree, I gotta walk like two miles, buddy. Like <laughs> you, you gotta get your way all the way over to Central Park to have a tree. So you develop yeah, I, I an have, irrational hatred. I have fond memories of going to Prospect Park as a youth. I once hit my head on the ice so hard there that I zoomed out of my body and looked down on myself for a second. And that's kind of neat, I think. But as far as communion with the trees, uh, I don't spend very much time in nature. Uh, So, rip. (laughs) Sorry. Literally rip. I mean, I get it. Rip and tear. Yeah, rip. The sage was a tough one for me. So, yeah. Oh, you want to talk sticks? There, there's a good one there. Is um, 
you know, if you're a longtime fan of magic and you're reading something like this story, you you see something like the Seiju getting messed up. You're like, oh my god, they got the Seiju? Yeah. They got the tree? I mean, but this that was, was also that this was, was like my exact reaction. Wait, I loved it because of the the whole even setup. And like I said, I don't. I once again, I don't know the the the, the fact that it was the last time we see Baseju when we were on Neon was it's Baseju who endures. Like we literally get a, a name for this thing that is about its like ability to be around still. Baseju, yeah. <laughs> Just, I had to throw that in there because I, I, that was my biggest question. Why, why trees? Because it was I, hurting. You know, maybe I'll go for a hike and I'll, I'll, I'll atone for my sins. I'll, I'll apologize. I mean, Sean is always trying to get me to visit her, so maybe she'll take me on a hike in the Pacific Northwest and I'll never be heard from again. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't have to go that far to be surrounded by trees. I just step outside my front door. <laughs> Check your tree privilege. <laughs> yeah, Taya, come on, be cool. She's going to kill another tree, okay? There are still like, trees out there, okay? Don't like, make me like, kill Multani. Like, I was, oh, God. I was, I, I was just thinking that Ren just got replanted. Like, wow. Okay. Well, that's that's what I had for the show. So, sorry. Taya, are we on? Are we on? <laughs> Something about Luca, maybe? I don't know. Are we on episode two yet? <laughs> Who cares about Luca? Anyway. It was a dig a dig at Luca, so that's why I included it. There we go. We hit that. We hit, we hit <laughs> yeah. the dig at Luca. We're, we're doing great. The one thing from episode two was really um, the, the part that Chandra is asking herself, how can she focus on something you know, like that right now and looking at like everything else is going normal is that like nothing's normal and no one wants to talk about it. And, you know, it just feels that that feels so much like reality when there's a lot of big things going on and it just feels like nobody's listening, uh, like being trans right now. So, you know, that whole conversation with, you know, whole internal monologue with Chandra, I, I, you know, that jumped right out to me and definitely recognize that. Yeah, it's it's real tough being a trans person right now. I'm sure I don't have to tell you at all, but I do think it bears saying and I think it bears recognizing even from cis people just how bad things are and that we shouldn't really let things be normal and not talk about it. You know, I, I think it's important to address things as they come up. Back to the story. <laughs> so when you've got anxiety, when you've got any other kind of, you know, anything that really separates you from other people, whether that be a mental thing or a physical thing, it can really alienate you from the way that other people seem to be going about their lives because there's so much that means so much to you and it's happening all at once and it's a very physical thing and Chandra to me has always felt like somebody who's very in touch with her physical self and the way that things feel and some, sometimes you know to the detriment of her shall we say uh, decision making skills but it was something that I wanted to spotlight is how much that can really weigh on somebody who doesn't have a healthy way to express it right then 
because who's she going to talk to about all of this? Everybody knows the sky is falling down. Talking about it isn't helpful, really, except to her. But, like, she still needs to, you know? Yeah, like most planeswalkers, my, my poor little fire baby needs a therapist bad. Well, he's back to life now. <laughs> <laughs> he needs therapy, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Everybody in these needs therapy. We already said <laughs> Nuka fair. Penna's covered. Fabine's got Nuka Penna covered. We don't have to worry about that. But she's got confidant in the name. Uh, she yes. does. And she's her old so powers. good. I love so it. So good in Commander too. Oh, I, I she really is. My God, the like the nicest guy in my EDH pod, who is also kind of like the platonic ideal of a magic player. I keep in mind when I'm writing these stories because like. Every single reference to anything that's like five years or more old, he, he just he marks out. It's it's wonderful. The dude has a Kavu deck. A Kavu deck. <laughs> but he plays a Fabine deck that has beaten me silly more than once. Uh yeah, I have Fabine because as being a therapist, it was my first representation of therapy. And Naya Aww. is my worst deck uh construction philosophy. <laughs> So it was it was definitely an interesting experience just even doing it. So but yes. So next we get to see Tamio and what I, I think Tay had written down, but kind of curious, was using Urza's story for Tamio section your idea? Was that something that, that they wanted brought in? That was my idea. Cool. Yeah, so, it's um I what about to... that? Because Urza's the worst, but <laughs> Urza's the worst, but there's a lot of parallels here, right? <laughs> and it's a 30-year anniversary set, so we'd be remiss if we didn't include some callbacks, especially if those callbacks can be as thematic. Um, so this is the first time that Urza comes up in the story. Uh, there's, I think, two other times. Yeah, so there's this time, there's the Elspeth Bottle episode, and there's one mention at the very, very tail end when they're um, trying to reverse phyresis. And I think it's impossible to talk about the 30-year history of magic without talking about Urza in some way. A lot of what's going on right now is, you know, a direct result of the dude, you know, messing around, <laughs> shall we say. But, so Tamiyo has always had these, these three scrolls, right? And it's been a mystery what's in them. And I wanted to touch on Urza's story and I wanted to solve the mystery of what was in that last scroll before the last time that we saw her. You know, we needed to know. <laughs> so that using Urza's story there came from me because I wanted to set up the, uh, I guess, the grand feeling of March of the Machines. And I wanted to tie in more of Magic's lore. Um, at the time, I didn't know that I was going to be bringing Urza up in episode six, but I had the feeling that I would be using him again at some point. So I just, you know, it felt good to reach for that reference. And yeah, you know, there are some writers who are extremely meticulous in their outlines, and I'm not one of them. <laughs> so sometimes when I'm writing, I just reach for something that feels right. Um, this being one of those cases, and we refined it over the course of the revisions. It's not just Urza's story, by the way, it's also Yogmoth's. So Yawgmoths and then Urza's and then the last story there, Karn. 
Oh, we'll get back. Yeah. We'll get back to Karn. Don't worry. Oh, oh I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Poor depressed Karn. Uh, <laughs> never gone right for it. So, you know, the other thing that I, I really know, and it comes up again later, but just in uh, Tammy or not Tammy. Oh, sorry, I'm getting back on the. Um, it, it, end of episode two, it's just referring, uh, Ren referring to, to Fairy getting caught in a tangle again. And I really enjoyed that callback. Uh, I can, I can give you a fun fact about that, which is March of the Machine was written so early that tangles had just been turned in by the time that I was doing revisions. So I was actually able to read tangles ahead of time <laughs> to make sure that I could see the callbacks there properly. Seed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're back on trees again. I was, oh, you got me. I was like, haha. See, we're planting <laughs> seeds. Finally, we're doing something. Let, let's branch out a little bit further. <laughs> I think we can leave this subject alone. Dang it. See, we've gotten to the root of it. I'm trying to be so nice to our guests that I didn't even get to use leaf, which is like my favorite. <laughs> Speaking of those seeds, is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the, the, line, the line Tyvar has about New Phyrexia planting the seeds of doubt and fear within him and, and I'm just like I I don't know if I can buy him being afraid of anything but <laughs> well that's part of why that bit is there though because yeah. even Tyvar is afraid yeah I know it's that's the yeah yeah, it's that he's afraid too, and someone who couldn't even be magically feared by Tibble. Yeah, it's it's more than magical fear at that point. It's personal too, because he's yeah. with his brother. He's with all of his people. They're all trying to come together to fight everything off here, and he doesn't know what's going to happen next. Tybar just learned to planeswalk. Well, he learned that he was planeswalking like think, two yeah. weeks ago. <laughs> all of this is happening very quickly for him. Yeah, poor poor guy. I hope I hope he recovers. I'm well, sure the he'll good be news fine. is that he he's going to really grow from this because I, I what I had noticed a lot with Tyvar was that it seems like he's now set up to be able to travel between the realms to learn from. Oh wait, the world tree's dead. Sorry, let's move on to something else. <laughs> Man, I didn't know I would be hammered about these dead trees when I came on here. This is a real guy. <laughs> it's really surprising to me too because Hobbes is not a fan of green in magic. And all of a sudden, he is all about the trees, and I'm this trying stolen to valor. figure out what's going on. See, it's this weird thing. I love nature. I just don't like the color green in magic, and I struggle <laughs> with that myself. Alex, thanks. That my biggest insecurity now brought up on the cast. <laughs> I got nothing. I just, for some reason, <laughs> these trees are just sticking with me. Is is this is is this the happening now? Are you Marky Mark? <laughs> My whole color identity is shifting as we're talking, and I'm getting very uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> Alex, was there anything you wanted to uh, ask about? On this? No, I'm sorry. Listen, I, no, I that's actually fine. Read, read these stories, so I'm, I'm trying to, to listen, and, and if I have you know questions kind of in, in topics that are brought yeah. up, I'll, I'll jump I, in. But. I mean, 
I figured Alex would have something to say on Urza, but here we are, right? I yeah, I mean, you covered it. Urza's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of the most important yeah. note there. We'll so come Alex, back to that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was like, uh, Alex, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get there, there cuz yeah. Karn's still lingering in the story <laughs> right now. Hmm. Oh yes, there's another mention of Urza. There, so yes, yeah, because Karn Karn remembers something terrible. About <laughs> yeah. <it. laughs> what else is Karn going to remember about? <laughs> like, yeah, the, the man who made him but didn't give him a name because yeah. Urza. That's just it. Kind of encapsulates well, this works. Well, let's Urza just is. This one now, since we're already on yeah, the topic. We're on the subject. <laughs> yeah. Let's but, do uh, it. Episode seven. Uh, Karn used to wonder why he could feel pain. Uh, people are less likely to hurt something that screams. Urza said. Urza is the worst. Yeah, Alex. I was wondering <laughs> if you had caught that yet. Nope, I didn't. Nope. Nope. <laughs> That's, yep. But very in line with like everything we've ever talked about. Like we did the, the whole two-parter on Karn and depression. And it was literally yes. about like how big of a dick like Urza was to him to make him the way he did. And then we get this new line. So yeah, Kiro, you want to tell us a little bit more about why we had to do this? <laughs> Okay, so that line comes from one of my partners being really, really into Ghost in the Shell, right? So I've watched a lot of Ghost in the Shell in my time. And one of the things that they have in Ghost in the Shell is pain receptors that they can turn off and on. And all of the cybernetically enhanced people have these. And it, it's it's brought up several times throughout the course of the series. Once I saw that, I was like, why don't other things address that at all that's a cool concept so when i was in karn's head because uh, there's not very much left of karn at that point <laughs> it was i don't know <laughs> it was it was just what came to mind it was like why does karn have pain receptors because urza's a dick why would urza <laughs> want karn to have pain receptors Oh, the practical, you know, air quote, practical, extremely detached reason is it makes him more sympathetic. Things that can feel pain are more sympathetic to us. We we feel some kind of, you know, tie to them. Even people who don't like dogs, let's say, if they step on a dog's tail, will feel bad about it. Right. And, you know, I, I thought that made sense for somebody like Urza. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Ghost in the Shell. That is cool. I'm glad I asked about yeah. that. Yeah, that, that, that is... is a cool connection. <laughs> Poor <It's>... Karn. God. <laughs> I like Karn. I love Karn. And yeah. there's a lot There's a lot of self-identification with Karn. So, <laughs> like... You know, that that's why Karn gets to kill Norn at the end. It's, it's because damn, he's damn well learned it. Yeah. <laughs> So we are jumping. I do want to bring that up because that was a moment of contention among some to see Karn decide to like put aside the pacifism that he's walked in and like kill his creation. I saw people that were worried that they felt that it was out of character for Karn. I personally did not feel that it was. But I'm curious about that decision to have Karn basically make like have to return to that life where he has to like snuff something out or he has to like kill basically 
or he well, doesn't have to. He chooses to. I think that taking responsibility is also a big theme of the set. And one of the things that really contrasts Karn and Teferi and Urza, um, it, Karn and Teferi being one unit here, is that they've learned to take responsibility for what they've done. Teferi was kind of an ass uh, for quite a long time. And, you know, he, in doing so, phased out Jelfir. He lost his home. He's had, he lost a great deal of his power um, due to the bending, and he kind of had to scrape everything together. At the end of the day, he kind of just lucked into being able to return Jalfir to its proper place and fix all of this, right? But part of lucking into it was becoming the sort of man who could take responsibility for it and having that character growth. That's something that Urza kind of sort of vaguely gestures at, but like he's still Urza, right? That's not what people remember. With Karn, even though he didn't mean to do any of this harm and did a lot of it, completely unknowingly you know it's still his mistake that's cost so many people their lives and i think that when we talk about pacifism we have to realize that there are different types of pacifism right there's complete and utter non-resistance there's pacifism that functions by self-defense um there's different philosophies if we are to consult something like the life-giving sword for instance just that entire concept of somebody who strikes not to take a life, but to save another life. So I don't, I can understand why some people think it's out of character for Karn, but I, I would encourage them to think of it in the larger arc, especially with regard to where Urza ended up and where Karn is now. Um, it's not something that's easy for him by any means, and that's very much stressed throughout the passage, is that it, this isn't something he enjoys doing. It's just something that he feels like is the only thing that there is left to do. He can't have Elspeth. He could have Elspeth do it. It would be very easy, but that's not really taking responsibility for it. That's making somebody else clean up after his problems again. Which I, I would contend that's the thing that to me felt okay. I mean, I got not okay. It felt, it, it felt Karn in, in, in character with Karn because our previous episode about depression and Karn, a lot of this was, Right. Like he, he basically leaves Mirrodin can't be bothered with it uh, in part because of depression or at least what we're hypothesizing. He is one of the only characters that that actually depression or the concept of is explicitly tied to him in the story. And in, 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 uh, in my misremembering, Alex, we could oh, literally we started this from. Yeah, he, he is, if, if I remember correctly, twice specifically. Uh, described as de being depressed or slipping yeah. into depression. Like the, okay. the, the word is actually used to describe him at least once, but I believe twice. So, you know, we kind of talked about, right? Like he kind of like leaves Mirrodin like that. He just kind of like abandons it. And just, as you said, there's an incredible sense of responsibility to this world that, you know, and him, him wandering and coming back, bringing the glistening oil back and allowing that to like corrupt this world that he had tried to make mathematically perfect. So I, to me, I, I, I understand that a lot of what Karn has done, even in recent times, is to he's, he's, he's been running away from it and he's been not taking that responsibility and he has to do it. And, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen I, 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 well, I, I, I guess this is kind of more of the horrible person in me, like 
him him f- seeing Venser's body, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> seeing the the like the Phyrexians using Venser. But it's just it's it's yeah. Sorry. Just, just to cut in there, I would have if I knew Venser was going to be in that set. <laughs> Are you kidding me? When I saw that spoiler, I was like, what? How dare you, Wizards? How no, dare you? No, everybody at Wizards is wonderful. No, I know. Just, but I understand. Like, I mean, yeah, like, right? But, like, it's, God, that guy just cannot, I mean, Karn cannot catch a break. Yeah. That's why Venser is such a touch point for Karn throughout. Um, we, we see Venser come up in Karn's thoughts the first time that we're in Karn's head. And also later, it's Venser's spark that they use for the healing process. And Venser was one of the people that Karn was closest to and was the guy who came looking for him <laughs> when he crawled into his little depression pit. <laughs> you know, it's it's. There's something deep in that friendship there, and it meant the world to Karn, and it was important for me to keep that at the forefront whenever I was writing him. I also do appreciate you, you know, kind of mentioning the the, the fairy Karn kind of similarities or the responsibility piece that we also get this kind of, you know, we've seen it a little bit as, as time has been going on with basically repairing what was a really bad relationship to start with, mm-hmm. just with how Teferi treated Karn initially, basically as a, a toy and somebody to play games on and to harass I mean, So, you know, that, and that is the, yeah. He, Artie Shovelhead is what he called him. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Teferi to, to was was one of the things that actually was a hard part of the, the Tolarian Academy for Karn. To see them actually now working together and to be the, these growth characters, uh, I really personally appreciated. Yeah, it, it was honestly, I really love writing Teferi. He's very easy for me to write, especially now in his more fully realized form. But uh, it was it was honestly a joy to get to write him, you know, showing up with the entire cavalry and like realizing his life's dream for so many years. So I'm sorry I took us off on that Karn tangent. Well, go to Karn tangent. The tangent but I mean that is tangent. that was yeah. probably, last time that was one of the the main area that I wanted to go deeper in. And like I said, part of that is just my identification with Karn and understanding that responsibility piece. I mean, as we're talking, kind of like. About Urza, I, I, the other area was it was it did he come up during the discussion of Elspeth in your stories? Yes. Okay, because that was the other area that I think we, I really wanted to hit on from the stuff that you had lined outlined, Taya. Yeah, one quick thing, amusing point from episode five is when Koth is flinging everybody across the thing, and we did get a card for it, and it's a combat trick. I, I wish it would have <laughs> been a, I wish it would have been a planeswalker fling spell. It would have been great, oh, that would be right? Fun. You want to oh. know what the funny thing is? That's actually a callback. That's not the first time Kalth has done that. Do you know <laughs> what that's a callback to? No, I don't. It's a callback to Quest for Karn. <laughs> 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 Which I actually read in preparation for writing this. <laughs> but um, in Quest for Karn, he does the same thing. He eats planeswalkers. He eats Benzer that way, actually. Oh, that's... Did not know that. That is awesome. Yeah. Not a lot I've of people have read for card. No. <laughs> I did read it, and I didn't remember that. <laughs> well, you, you memory hold it, as you should have. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that and Testa Metal have both been memory hold. But, uh, 
Yeah, so Elspeth. We, yeah. you know, I mean, something that had been talked about, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I had definitely seen this theories about Elspeth and potentially this next glow up of hers. And I'm curious how excited you were to write Elspeth. Oh, God, I did. I, I just about it. did a backflip. Are you okay. kidding me? <laughs> I, I love Elspeth. Uh, she is my second favorite planeswalker um, behind Uliana, who cannot be bested. I'm very sorry. But uh, <laughs> Elspeth is about as close as you can get. So, you know, as, as again, somebody who has anxiety and has always been afraid having a character who that has always been her foible, you know, is that she's terrified of these things, but she keeps doing them anyway. And sometimes she runs away. You know, she ran away from Bant for quite some time. And, you know, she's had these moments of very human weakness. So I was so excited to be able to explore those and to bring her arc to this conclusion here. The conclusion of human Elspeth, shall we say. And to bring her to this next level and kind of confront all of that head on. So excited. <laughs> was using Sarah your idea? I am going to level with you. I don't remember. Because the thing is that I wrote this in kind of a fugue state. <laughs> and we <laughs> revised it a couple times. I think that I did have Sarah in the original draft. I'd have to pull it up to see. But this was actually the most free form of the episodes. I'm pretty sure my outline for it was like... Elspeth talks to some angels and they encourage her to do angel stuff. And she's confronted <laughs> with some moments from her past. And I, I, I passed it to the story team and they were like, yeah, that sounds great. It's on Dominaria. Right. And then I wrote the chapter and they're like, this is not on Dominaria, but we're going to let it rock. <laughs> so, um, that chapter is, I, I will say hugely indebted to um, Martha Wells's stories in, um, Dominaria, because she has this whole thing about angels there that's also really great. And the idea of kind of like a young angel being born in an angel workshop borrows a lot from that. So the story wouldn't be here without that. And I do think it's important to call that out. But uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure Sarah was in the original. I'm pretty sure. It feels like one of those things that I, I put in and I was like, there's no way they're going to let me get away with this. And then they did. But it could also be that they were like, make this Sarah. So I, I don't want to say either way because I can't. This episode just, to me, it's, it was just kind of fully formed from the outset, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's that's really cool how that came together. See, I, I love hearing about process, stuff like that. It's just yeah. kind of that creative thing mm -hmm. of just like, it, it, it's hard to even remember because it just, it, the story's there. Yeah. For you. It's like, if I were to think of my magic le legacy UTM, um, you know, a, a deck I would pay $10,000 for, I would say that I'm probably happiest so far with that Elspeth episode and that, you know, no matter what, I've got that. And I'm extremely proud of that. <laughs> I think I did great on it. But yeah, there, there's a lot to that Elspeth episode and it touches back on a wide range of magic's history um, because mm. Elspeth is so directly tied to so much of it. And of course, Urza being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> you can't talk about magic history without confronting it. So yeah. I, I, at least we're confronting it at this point. 
you know, I think that that was one of our, you know, I, this is going off a little bit, but you know, the return to, to kind of the brothers war was, it wasn't just like a whitewashing of history. You know, it wasn't just like, we're going to like, we're going to just retcon this, that there's much better elements or things that I, my, my brain, like there, there was better reasons for why, like, there were reasons that are there, but we didn't like make Urza into a good person. It was just misunderstood or something like Urza is still allowed to be a bad person. And that is part of magic history. And I, I always, I, I just worry when we return to certain things that it's just kind of like, we need to make it better. And brothers War, I thought ran that line really well. Yeah, they had a hell of a tightrope, but they yeah. knocked it out of the park. I'm mixing sports metaphors, but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> People play baseball on tightropes. <laughs> it, it definitely make me watch it. Baseball's great, okay? <laughs> like, I, I'm sorry, as a Puerto Rican from New York City, <laughs> I have to defend the honor of baseball. <laughs> Well, okay, but now I mean, what? See, God, I have to ask Mets or Yankees for you. Yankees, obviously. Oh, God. My. Okay, this this cast has ended. <laughs> I I have to tell you the most I patriotic thing I have talking with a Mets fan. The only thing that's been the most patriotic thing I've ever gotten to be a part of is being in Boston for July Fourth, and as the fireworks went off, the crowd swelled and joined each other in chanting "Yankees suck," and I don't think I've been more proud of humanity. This is a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> if it were not for the laws of this land. <laughs> you know, to be fair, I, I have seen games in uh, uh, old Yankee Stadium, playoff games, and the best part of getting to see a game in those stadiums was when the Yankees lost to the Angels both times. <sighs> Well, you know what? We had a you good know run. What? We had I... a good run. This was really, yeah. Thank if I'm going to burn bridges, episode probably never again. Can I interest <laughs> you? Can I interest you in Japanese baseball? Because the Hanshin Tigers are actually—I'll go on a whole digression. All right, I will add 20 minutes to this podcast right here, talking about Hanshin Tigers deep lore. If you let me, and you should not. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the deepest I can get on Japanese lore is that there, like, literally was a. Uh, like a manga that that basically parallels Shohei Otani's rise as the two way athlete, and that's about He's as far incredible. as incredible. Yeah, that's so why I'm actually an Angels fan. So that's that's where my yeah, I mean that that makes hatred sense. Of... You can be an Otani fan. I'll forgive that, but <laughs> I, I yes, we need we need to get back to magic because I I will keep talking. This is. I, I, I would love to see the baseball plane. We need this. Like we need more sports. Yes, yes. I, I would I would love to write the baseball plane. Um I think it is my my birthright. <laughs> <laughs> Battlebond two, Gavin Verhey, if you're paying attention. We not only need Battlebond two, we need story for it. Yes, yes. Uh but, uh, yeah, I mean, if you guys want to talk more about the Ellsworth episode, there's a lot to dig into there. Otherwise, yeah, that, sounds, you know, fine. We can... that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually going to, you know, ask about the next one. And it's when, you know, Elspeth shows up and Ellis With the Norn steel chair? Like, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Ellis Norn just has a total breakdown and starts mm -hmm. losing it. 
And he goes, you know, eventually slips and, you know, as far as I know for the first time is when she goes, you, I hate you and slips into the first person. You know, I, I just, the way that Ellis Norn loses it is, it was fantastic to see it play out like that for a white aligned villain. Yeah. We always knew Norn was going to break down and we always knew that it would happen in that episode during that confrontation with Elspeth. We knew that there would be a, you're not so different section there and that, um, you know, that confrontation would happen. But uh, I do want to point out that the switch from personal to, uh, well, secondary to personal was in fact a story team thing. And that actually came before I was done with, I think I had done like episodes one through three and they're like, we think this is a cool beat. Can you work it in? And I was like, that's sick. Yeah. So, uh, you know, worked it in. And I think it's a really great moment that encapsulates a lot of what's wrong with Elish Norn. I do feel bad for the translators who had to process that in different languages. So my bad. I have a lot of Japanese coworkers and I was actually uh, calling some of them over to told me how that they had worked on that translation in the Japanese version. And they were like, nobody speaks like this. What is this? You're having us read. <laughs> so I could only imagine what it was like in other languages. But I think it does encapsulate a lot. And Norn has always been somebody who's obsessed with power, who's obsessed with, uh, like Shay Eldred, obsessed with power. But more than that, she's also obsessed with her image of herself, Right when we see Norn's annex, when we see Norn's anything, they look much more like her than any of the other Praetor's peeps look like them, right? There's this tendency within the white-aligned Phyrexians to be even more like a hive mind than they are in a lot of the other factions. So that's something that I wanted to play with and I wanted to highlight, and I wanted to have those cracks there from the very beginning with Shaildred, with, you know, Atraxa questioning her a little, with Tomio being able to resist Phyresis a bit. Because, you know, you, you want to have lasting questions about this invasion, too, is how much of what happened in this invasion is Norn, you know, being overreaching and deciding to invade a bajillion planes at once instead of going, hey, let's just mess up Theros or something, <laughs> you know? Like... You get the feeling that if they had tried to do this one by one, they would have been able to proceed much more methodically and increase the ranks a lot more methodically. But instead, what you're left with is this kind of slipshod operation. And how much of that is because Norn wants to project this unfailing idea of Phyrexia? How much is because Norn wants there to be this pluralization of Phyrexia? So when she sees Elspeth again after she thought she got rid of her in a way that really no one, no one could have accounted for that. It's it's this serious break for her. She doesn't she doesn't know how to handle it. You know, she's, she's throwing a 404 there. Ma maniacal plan not found. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, she, we even saw her trying to account for for Elspeth in some ways to like try to do things to draw Elspeth different directions, especially after the, the dream that she was kind of given by Ashiok, which shout out you know, to Ashiok for saving yeah. the multiverse, by the way, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, right. I, I have lots of questions about where Ashiok is. 
I've had them for a while, not not just now. Ever since his card art, or that well, the the card art for Ashiok has shown um, Bolas's meditation realm, and we don't know why Ashiok was really there. They're just having uh, a great yeah. time. They're they're talking you know, about machinations. Were they? <laughs> it's, it's just two two bros chilling. Six feet apart <laughs> in the meditation realm with Ugin just sitting there shaking their head, and like, oh, yeah, yeah that, that's how it goes. That's but, how it I mean, goes. but no, shout out to Ashiok. But I mean, like, we saw those, like, that was kind of a cool thing. Like, Norn was already just like really afraid of Elspeth, right? That we know yeah, that she was terrified, she was and- terrified. She had these backup plans. She was like, okay, Atraxa, you're going to mess up Capenna so yeah. that if Elspeth goes back to Capenna, it's in ruins. And Ajani, you're going to go mess up Theros because if she goes back to Theros, then not only is Theros messed up, but you're also there. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> could, you, could you work on like getting Heliod on board in this too? I, I heard she hates him. <laughs> the easiest getting yeah. on board ever. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, she is so paranoid about this that she's made all of these backup plans. And the last thing that she expects is for Elspeth to just show up in the fair basilica. <laughs> like, who does that? Who would expect that? No one would expect that. And I think it's, you know, it, it's a bit like Macbeth, right? It's when uh, Burnham Wood comes to Dunsinane. It's when Macduff goes, Macduff was uh, from his mother's womb, untimely ripped. You're just like, oh hell. You know? <laughs> it's just the prophecy is falling into place in ways that you thought there was no way that it could. You realize, you know, your, your feet are clay. Everything is coming down around you. You're desperately trying to get her onto your side because you know, there's not that much different between you and angels. You're kind of familiar with that at that point. And that's not working. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I appreciated the, the, the basically descent into madness that we saw starting in this moment. But I mean, pulling us all the way to episode nine when, you know, defeat is at her doorstep and she still is basically, you know, we're still going to last like what we've done, what I built will last forever. Phyrexian will never die. You know, it's... You're only delaying, you know, it's like there's just this, the, this, this complete descent in like lack of grip on reality that yeah, I really appreciate. And also, she slips into first person again. Yes. And Jin Kataxias tells her to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. yeah, Jin Kataxias, I see, is a kind of guy who, you know, um, doesn't necessarily want to be the leader of anything. Like, it feels like interpersonal stuff is just not what he wants to do with his life. So, you know, Shieldred, uh, Norn, whoever it is that's in charge of fine, whatever, as long as they're making logical choices. But as long as, as long as he gets to do the science. Exactly. The science must continue. Exactly. But he's been trying to tell Norn this whole time that she's being a bit of a boob. And... <laughs> She just doesn't <laughs> want to listen. So I think like any STEM major, he just gets to a point where he's just trying to usurp the whole thing. Yeah. And it was it was important, I think, too, to have that moment for Jenga Taxius because he's he's the kind of guy that you would expect to be like, this is this is not working. What are you doing? None <laughs> yeah. of this makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, we get another absolutely brutal Jenga Taxius card out of it, too. 
Yep. <laughs> I am never happy to see that guy hit the field. <laughs> no, and Shannon has all three of them in her near a deck now. Oh god. Uh, I actually I pulled a Shaildred the Apocalypse, like the etched foil and everything. Oh, from cool. Like, yeah, it was like the first pack I opened from Dominaria United. I was just like, oh. Well, oh I'm my. going on top. I'm retired. No more Dominaria <laughs> United for me. <laughs> I might as well, right? I've still lost them. Nothing, nothing's met that high. <laughs> it's like, maybe I'll find a Talarian Academy. No, you don't. Nobody ever does. I think we need to, you know, wrap this up very soon, but. I just want to say how much I appreciate Tyvar boasting when he jumps out of the water with the serpent's head. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's such an important moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, I mean, honestly, it is because it's that moment where you've been holding your breath this whole time. Uh, you, and there was actually a lot more about holding your breath in episode two originally. Um, no, actually. Wait, now I'm getting this wrong. There's a lot more about holding your breath in episode two now um the original version used a different metaphor but it's holding your breath and realizing that everything is going to be okay it's i know for me i've had moments where i've been anxious all day and a stupid song will come on shuffle and i can just feel it break i can feel everything loosening up and thinking to myself all right we can deal we're going to get through this. And that's that's what that moment is. That's what that moment is, is for Tyvar. It's what that moment is for Pia. It's what that moment is for everyone. And having that moment of he's not waiting to see how the war is gone. He's waiting to see if his brother's still there. Yeah, it's, it's these little moments that are the most vital parts of this story to me. And I know that we talked a lot about, you know, the conclusion and just the the end you know kind of the 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 stakes that we get we are as you said i i can't wait to hear the discussion of aftermath at the convention i'm going to be very excited to hear more about that but really Kira, i just want to say thank you for coming back on again going through the story with us uh, getting us kind of these moments that we had really wanted to dive deeper in because there were so many of them that stood out that, you know, like as we were talking last time, an hour was not enough and an hour's not enough this time either. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm down for yeah. round three at some point. You know, if you want to talk after aftermath drops? Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ow. Oh, my arm's being twisted. Ah! <laughs> I don't want to do any of this. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I got to overcome the trees and the Yankees now. It's two things. It's like a double whammy. Don't, don't make me go over there. I thought I was like, I thought I was going to be able to cope I, with the I trees. I will bring you a Yankees then... cap. I will oh, do it. So help oh, me God, I will do oh, it. <laughs> this is like the Midwestern version. Like, I'm going to show you. I'll, 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 I'll show you. I'll bring you a gift. <laughs> And you're going to be too impo- too polite to not accept. <laughs> yeah, It'll right. Torture on. you. <laughs> well, y'all, thank you for joining us. We will be, uh, like I said, we'll be all of us that are here today. will be at Magic Con for Minneapolis, and we look forward to hopefully seeing some of you out there. And that's our show for today. You can find all of the hosts on Twitter for now. Hobbs can be found at HobbsQ. Tay can be found at Taya Transcends, and Alex can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Feel free to send us any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to the Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter, or email us at goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. 
If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, our link tree can be found on our Twitter account and in the description of today's show. This has everything from various discount codes to the link for our Patreon. The music for today's show was by Vintergotten, who can be found at Vintergotten at Bandcamp.com. The art was done by Stephen Raphael, who can be found at Steve Raffle on Twitter. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. (laughs) 